Welcome to the podcast service of Sydney's FM 103.2. Available on the web at fm1032.com.au. Hello, I'm Kel Richards. Have you ever belonged to a fan club? When you were, uh, when you were young, let's say, when you were a teenager, did you ever join a fan club or think about joining a fan club? I've got to admit, I never have. I, uh, I suppose when I was young, I might have joined the Doctor Who fan club, but I didn't, as it happens. And uh, because I love the Sherlock Holmes stories, if there was a Sherlock Holmes fan club, I might join, but I, I have, never have. But tonight I'm going to talk about the fan club that really matters. Tonight's program is called The Fan Club. Thanks for joining us. Nice to have you company. As I mentioned last night, the only way to explain Christianity is to explain Jesus Christ. Because that's what the word Christianity means. It means Christ following or Christ believing or something like that. It's more like a fan club than anything else. Christianity is the Jesus Christ fan club. There are those who follow the teachings and writings of Karl Marx and call themselves Marxists. Those psychologists who follow in the footsteps of Sigmund Freud call themselves Freudians. Those whose thinking has been chiefly shaped by Charles Darwin call themselves Darwinians. In exactly the same way, those who follow in the footsteps of Jesus, those for whom Jesus is the defining influence in their lives, call themselves Christians, are called Christians. So we're explaining Christianity by explaining Jesus Christ. And we're explaining Jesus by looking at Mark's biography, or gospel, about Jesus, an eyewitness, first century document. This report, based on the memories of Peter, one of the very first followers of Jesus, takes us right back into the Jesus generation. You listen now while I read to you Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Jesus went back to Capernaum, and a few days later people heard that he was at home. Then so many of them came to the house that there wasn't even standing room left in front of the door. Jesus was still standing when four people came in, carrying a crippled man on a mat. But because of the crowd, they could not get him to Jesus. So they made a hole in the roof above him and let the man down in front of everyone. When Jesus saw how much faith they had, he said to the crippled man, My friend... Your sins are forgiven. Some of the teachers of the law of Moses were sitting there. They started wondering, Why would he say such a thing? He must think he's God. Only God can forgive sins. Right away, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said, Why are you thinking such things? Is it easier for me to tell this crippled man that his sins are forgiven? Or to tell him to get up and pick up his mat and go on home? I'll show you that the Son of Man has the right to forgive sins here on earth. So Jesus said to the man, Get up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man got right up. He picked up his mat and went out while everyone watched in amazement. They praised God and said, We've never seen anything like this. Well, that's Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. In that incident, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Okay, now this is a title from the Old Testament part of the Bible, from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And it's a label for God's appointed agent in this world. The Son of Man is the anointed and appointed one by God to be the ruler and rescuer of planet Earth. And Jesus is claiming to be that one. As, as such, he can and does forgive sins, saying to the crippled man, my friend, your sins are forgiven. It's really important that there is at least one person who can do this. Because we all need it. We all need to be forgiven. We're all wrongdoers. We've all done wrong. 
we all need to be forgiven. If you think that you've never done anything wrong and don't need to be forgiven, I should be tapping you on the forehead saying, hello, hello, anyone there? Meanwhile, back in the real world, everyone has done wrong. Everyone is a wrongdoer. Everyone needs to be forgiven. Otherwise, when we tumble off the twig and stand in front of the big boss, we'll be given a please explain that we can't get out of. Any excuse is no excuse. It's forgiveness that we need, and Jesus is the one and only dispenser of God's forgiveness in this world. To prove that he is, Jesus does a godlike thing. He repairs the damaged tissues in the crippled man's legs. And he does it the way he does everything, by just speaking, just issuing a command. Now, as we saw last night, Jesus had and has the most amazing authority. When he speaks, things happen. He speaks to the crippled man and things happen. Legs are made whole, the disease and damage is gone, the bloke gets up and walks. The amazing healing doesn't matter in itself. The point is that it's evidence. It is evidence of Jesus' power to forgive, and it's the forgiving that matters. What are you planning on when you are arrested by death and dragged before the high court of heaven? Are you hoping that your wrongdoing can be forgotten? That your records have been lost somewhere? Or are you hoping you can explain yourself and make excuses? Or are you counting on being forgiven by Jesus? That's the only defence that works. Nothing else works. Count on it. Well now, let's listen to another incident in the life of Jesus, remembered by Simon Peter, written up by Mark. And I'm going to read to you from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. The next time Jesus taught beside Lake Galilee, a big crowd gathered. It was so large that he had to sit in a boat out on the lake while the people stood on the shore. He used stories to teach them many things, and this is part of what he taught. Now listen. A farmer went out to scatter seed in a field. While the farmer was scattering the seed, some of it fell along the road and was eaten by birds. Other seeds fell on thin, rocky ground and quickly started growing because the soil wasn't very deep. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and dried up because they did not have enough roots. Some other seeds fell where thorn bushes grew up and choked out the plants, so they did not produce any grain. But a few seeds did fall on good ground, where the plants grew and produced thirty or sixty or even a hundred times as much as was scattered. Then Jesus said, If you have ears, pay attention. When Jesus was alone with his twelve closest followers and some others, they asked him about these stories. He answered, I have explained the secret about God's kingdom to you, but for others I can only use stories. The reason is, these people will look and look, but never see. They will listen and listen, but never understand. If they did, they would turn to God and he would forgive them. Jesus told them, If you don't understand this story, you won't understand any others. What the farmer is spreading is really the message about the kingdom. The seeds that fell along the road are the people who hear the message. But Satan soon comes and snatches it away from them. The seeds that fell on rocky ground are the people who gladly hear the message and accept it right away. But they don't have any roots, and they don't last very long. As soon as life gets hard or the message gets them into trouble, they give up. The seeds that fell among the thorn bushes are also people who hear the message. But they start worrying about the needs of this life. They're fooled by the desire to get rich and to have all kinds of other things. So the message gets choked out and they never produce anything. 
The seeds that fell on good ground are the people who hear and welcome the message. They produce 30 or 60 or even 100 times as much as was planted. That's Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. What Jesus is doing here is painting a picture of this world. He's telling us what this world is really like in the eyes of God. Some people, he says, have their fruitfulness snatched away by wrongdoing. They look at the picture of self-indulgence portrayed in movies and on TV, in advertising, and they say, oh, that's for me. And they ignore their duties. They ignore the moral order. They chase after fun. They decide the purpose of life is pleasure. They end up as prisoners, locked in the dark cells of habits that now control them. All that is really fruitful in life has been snatched away from them. Some people have their fruitfulness dried up by their own shallowness. This comes from fear, usually fear of losing control of their life, losing their independence. The most common reason for people turning away from God and inwards towards themselves is that they want to run their own lives their own way without God. They don't realize that turning away from fruitfulness and usefulness means turning towards being withered up and dry. Some people have their fruitfulness choked off by the things they own or wish to own, by the material rewards of this material world. They fail to see that all the toys, the gadgets, the promotions, the income, the bank balance, all the things they want, are choking their real fruitfulness. They think they're being productive because the shallow material world around them tells them they are. If they could but see themselves from God's point of view, they would see that their mad chase is going in the wrong direction, they are empty husks, and that they are to God unfruitful and unproductive. But some people hear the message of Jesus and respond to his call. They acknowledge God as God and serve God as God. They follow Jesus. They become fruitful and productive in God's eyes. They become the people with whom God is well pleased. It doesn't mean being religious. But it does mean joining the fan club and following Jesus. Okay, uh, our thought for the night is from Mark chapter 2, sentence 5. Jesus' message to the crippled man can be his message to us. My friend, your sins are forgiven. Until tomorrow night at this time, thanks for your company. I'm Kel Richards. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed this FM 103.2 podcast. To listen to more great audio, visit fm1032.com.au.